Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Carr, Skydiving Company, live from North Carolina. And hopefully you all had a blessed weekend as um, the 18th of September past came and went, and which was this weekend was the constitutional uh, day, a celebration and honoring of that. Uh, maybe you've seen some of that go around. And I think it's, it's very important for us to remember as a, a nation uh, that has a destiny with the Lord of, of some of the founding principles that we have and, and um, some of the things that we're, we're just reminding people of what the Constitution stood for um, and this nation more so stood for and why it was so important for us to break away uh, from the, na- the nation that we were a part of before and government without representation, et cetera, stuff like that and really stand for and be able to have the freedom that we have today of being able to share our voice, our opinion, that even if it disagreed with those around us. Um, and just a, a good reminder of that. And then as we enter into this um, celebration season in the Hebrew calendar in the year coming up on the new the new year, not only in the Gregorian calendar, but the Hebrew calendar, of uh, the changing times and seasons that we are in and, and continually go through uh, throughout history in our lifetime and even in our short lifetimes that we are here and today titled the episode of getting dressed for the future and staying on this theme of as we've been talking about for a while the new wineskin and we have gone through a little bit of matthew 9 and i kind of want to build upon that of where jesus talks about that of how you don't put new wine into an old wineskin and Look back in the Old Testament a little bit of another example about this same scenario as well. And it starts in Zechariah 3. And I just want to go through and read the this first little portion here of Joshua the high priest. This is Zechariah saying here in verse 1 that then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Quote, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among those who are standing here. 
And we're seeing here another example of the importance here as the Lord standing before the throne, be, taking on these accusations as Joshua the high priest is from Satan and the Lord removing those old wineskins. Because when, you, when you're standing there before the angel, before the Lord, before his throne, we have to take away those old dirty garments and be replaced with the new. And the, we see here that the Lord does that. And nothing by what we've done. But then he admonishes and, and says, hey, here's here's what you can do. If you will walk in my ways and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. And as we've been called um, to be high priests, as we even see in First Peter, and hearing and see that, it's another example of the importance of, of taking on the new wineskin, getting dressed for the future, uh, as we titled it today, as, as the prayer point um, for this is to to not let this time be for patching, basically just piecing things together, but it's time to just let go, renew ourselves, make ourselves a living sacrifice, as we talked about before and, and yesterday was highlighted in service, in renewing our mind. To let the Lord bless us and dress us for the future, for what is to come. Because we, we've been hearing, been paying attention to us and other people. Everybody's been saying the future is, is different. You know, there's even the secular world is saying there's a great reset and all, all this jazz going on. And in reality, it's it, things have changed. The, the, the world as we knew it is different uh, coming out of COVID and and the situations we have with Russia and Ukraine and now China and Iran and Israel and ourselves and things, things have changed. And so we need to step into that holy garment with the peace of the Lord to be able to walk out, um, what the Lord has for us now and in the future. Because I think if we, we walk with, as we've seen, we walk with the old mindset and our iniquities and our dirty rags is we're not going to be able to govern ourselves and our house and the courts uh, that the Lord has made us high priest and ambassadors for his kingdom to be able to walk out. So with that scriptural foundation today, I want to go over some things from this weekend, some comments made by the president yesterday during his uh, 60 minute interview and um, just continue to pray for our administration on several issues and several fronts. So first thing is first is um, we see now in Syria that U.S. troops are being attacked, continue to be attacked by Iranian-backed forces. And there was uh, several rocket attacks targeting U.S. military's green village based in northeast Syria. Uh, and it ultimately was a failed operation uh, to really hit any forces or equipment is what the U.S. Central Command is saying. And what they know is that uh, these were three decently sized range missiles. Um, a fourth one was also found at a launch point that um, they were able to find when they went back and, and searched. And ultimately, understanding that this is from Iranian-backed militia forces. The reason that that is important to understand is because at the same time we have these Iran nuclear deal talks to go back to. We've talked about other areas and ways there's showing the bad faith negotiation. This is one of the huge ones in understanding that if you get back in this deal, you release monies 
for the Iranians and the IRGC and everybody involved to be able to do and fund more activities like this. And obviously for the future, it's a problem because the world doesn't need more of this for safety of anybody around the world, Israel, United States, etc. But the understanding that this is a tactic that is used from Iran and allies of Iran to pressure the West to giving into what they deem that they want. And this happened in Israel in its founding of when there is ever time of a peace negotiation, you can go back and look and see that then the pal- in regards to that that topic, the Palestinians would increase terror. Even during um, and after the um, Camp David talks with the Yasser Arafat, that there was almost a peace negotiation, there was almost a splitting of the land with, with the Clinton administration, but then it fell apart because that's not what they want. They want they don't want a two-state solution. They want a one-state solution, but then terrorism increased after that, and even as those negotiations were going on. And you're seeing that play out here in these same type of similar negotiations of where something could possibly come about, obviously diff- completely different topics and scenarios, but is this is a tactic, is we're going to pressure, this is their ideology, they're going to pressure you to do what they want, and, and if you don't do what we want, then there's going to be more of this. And we're going to make it harder, and we're going to make it worse, but if you give us what we want, this will all go away, even though it won't. Um, it, it's a false facade, it's a strategy that works for Western officials who just want to quote-unquote make peace, you know, peace in the Middle East. This was always a talk in the Clinton administration. And this, these same politicians want that ideology as well. So um, the reality is is they're, they're trying – the goal is to, to pressure the U.S., pressure Russian, Chinese, anybody uh, involved in this into agreeing to what they want, hopefully that it will stop. So we want to continue to pray for this administration on this these talks and these negotiations, e- even uh, the U.K. officials, even the German and French officials who are involved in this, the I- IEEA, everybody who's involved in this to, to have the fear and the wisdom of the Lord to hopefully not give in to Iran what necessarily the, the, the lack of sanctions and ability to get back into these deals um, to fund possibly more terrorist activities such as this, as they've already broken the nuclear side of the deal. So something to be aware of and see of little bits and pieces of things that are going on around the world that sometimes we as Americans can easily forget about and not be aware of. And so we just want to pay attention to that. Now, on the home front, we see Biden go on um, (laughs) 60 Minutes last night, and there was a lot that was discussed from uh, President Biden uh, and 60 Minutes last night. And some of the few things, big, big concerns, biggest concern of all is that President Biden has, I think, wrongfully tried to show the U.S.'s strength in his eyes that they could potentially, these are his words, could 
potentially use forces to help defend Taiwan? Um, at what level does he mean? Um, is, is a serious question. Um, how many resources would this be? Like, there's a lot of questions that come up involved in this, and this is very alarming. Um, going back, and he's even saying that you know he warned President Yi when um, China and Russia basically made a deal to increase investments with each other as the Ukraine war kind of popped off during the Winter Olympics and or before during the Winter Olympics, and you know we've we've warned them and et cetera stuff like that, but. This is coming off the heels of the Biden administration just being manhandled by uh, the local trade unions with the rail workers. And China is going to look at this and say, you can't even properly negotiate with your own trade unions. How do you think you're going to negotiate and deal with us militarily? Um, so it's, it's, it's not a good look for Biden to discuss those things. Also, a lot of things about, he talked about how he claimed the economy is growing, even though it's shrinking and that Americans just need to deal with the inflation. Um, that's really great to hear from a president. Um, also talked about on the economy thinks that there will be a soft landing, which that's a, just a basket full of information to try to understand um, and, and really just it, it shows the lack of economics 101 understanding that he has and his administration has on the economic front. So something to be aware of. Also, he warned Russia about using nuclear weapons in the war in Ukraine, um, saying it would not be wise for them to do so, obviously. Um, also declared that the, the pandemic is over, surprisingly, just like New York, right before the midterm elections. And then ultimately, he's going to be patient about waiting to discuss um, and announce his plans to run in 2024. And then you have this news coming out of the U.S. Marine Corps that they are quietly, or more so, it is being uh, let out quietly that they will no longer... Um, basically adhere to the same policy of administrative separation and retaliation against Marines who did not want to get the vaccine and who used their religious exemption, their First Amendment right, to do so. In a post online on September 14th saying that the Marine Corps will not enforce any order to accept COVID-19 vaccination, administrative leave separation, or retaliation against Marines in the class for asserting statutory rights under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Meaning, wow, this First Amendment actually applies. And because a federal recent federal court ordered that the a, the temporary block um, from allowing Marines to use this exemption be removed, and therefore, wow, you can use your First Amendment rights. This is important because, number one, it, it's a win for, for religious victory and freedom. But also, the if we're going to possibly go to defend Taiwan. They need more troops and they need people who are actually going to be willing to fight, not these radical ideolo political ideologists who want to push some type of agenda and who wouldn't be willing to fight and to understand of why you you keep the heels uh, of terror on 
their own shores and, and something just to be wise about in the days ahead because there's also a recruiting shortage. Uh, I know people here and around here in North Carolina is a, a big military um, community. And pretty much everyone around here that I'm meeting has, has served or somebody in their family has served to some degree at, at a more higher rate than I've been remembering in South Florida, Louisiana. Maybe it's just I'm noticing it now, uh, but there, there's actually a guy in my neighborhood, he's a recruiter, and he he's being moved to other regions around the country because they need they need help recruiting people. Um, and this was several months ago, and they already know coming in the next couple months that they're going to be lagging behind. Um, so something to pay attention to. And, and I mean, hopefully some people can be reinstated if they they were removed, not only for the Marine Corps, but other um, military forces that, you know, they lost a lot of their livelihoods because they, yeah, probably they don't bring the draft back. Um, that's, that's something something to pay attention to as well um they have there hasn't been real talks about that so um i think it's one thing just to always obviously keep in mind but we'll see about that and then this week some few things to watch out for is and one of the biggest biggest things is the new talks about and more so reestablished talks of Introducing what is called the Electoral Count Act reform, where it's Liz Cheney and um, Zoe Log- Lofgren of California, who are both members of the January 6th committee, who are trying to have to basically take steps to federalizing the election process and not allowing things to play out as the Constitution would have them be in trying to change the 1887 law of certain things that are going on during the Electoral Count Act and basically stating, well, whatever the state, the federal government says goes, um, the states will lose some of their power involved in a lot of these decisions that are being made. And ultimately, this falls off the heels of the talks by Trump to persuade, try to persuade Mike Pence to using the authority he has as vice president to call into question some of the results from the states that there may be. And um, so that's looking like it'll come to the Senate floor this week. The As we talked about last week, we learned the gay marriage bill will not come, or more so the redefining of marriage bill will not come to the floor until after the midterms. That's looking like it's true. There's also looking like now, as they have the September 30th deadline of doing a continuing resolution till the end of the year, more so to talk about funding the government until after the election. Because again, if they do it now, it's going to hurt those who are up for re-election come the midterms. And so they're going to wait till after the election to possibly do more government funding, increase funding, et cetera, stuff like that. So they're just going to fund it as is, push it along, and then wait till after to actually do whatever they want to do. Uh, very alarming. And then something called a hydrofluorocarbines legislation and banning certain um, chemicals in basically household common use 
things uh, that are commonly used for refrigeration, air conditioning, and aerosols. They're trying to ban some things. I'm not real familiar with that, but that's just something that is going to try to be pushed and voted this week. And then we're also seeing this. And we've been following this. Go back, listen last week about the abortion ban from Lindsey Graham about how there are those in the Republican Party and Democratic Party who are trying to say, well, this is horrible, how dare they, et cetera, stuff. But it's also a thing of like, if we truly believe that there is a quote-unquote, number one, if there's a quote-unquote red wave, why not? But then number two, polling shows, if we're going to look at polling, <laughs> the Americans actually agree with this 15-week ban. And then also there's the side of, oh, wait, and most of the most important, the fact that uh, this is on the side of the Lord, and that is even as believers we should have faith. But there are a group of 15 senators, GOP senators, and I want to point this out because this is very important, who have signed on a bill opposing Graham's 15-week abortion ban. Now, a lot of what they're saying is actually correct. It will most, if it goes forward, it will not be pushed forward. And their thing is, well, it needs to be left up to the states. And their argument naturally is pretty solid to a degree. But here's where, and I'm going to state on this point. Here's where I think they're missing the point is the Democrats, those who are pro-abortion, progressives, however you want to, even some Republicans, they're pushing for a national allowing of abortion. So Graham is in this fight saying, hey, look, Democrats are going to do, you can say this all you want. This needs to be left up to the states. That's fine. Great. Cool. If it happens, it happens. You, you can walk and chew gum at the same time, meaning that you can try to defend the Federalist argument in this case, or you can really, def- and, and, in, and in particular, understand the reality of this fight and say, okay, if we want this truly to be left up to the states, then we have to stand up to what is trying to be had on the other side who want to have and overtake Federalist federalism on this issue of abortion basically not allowing the states to make that decision and so there here are the 15 gop senators who have signed this letter stating that well this needs to be be at the state level and again as we talked about last week it's amazing how all of a sudden they found um and stand for federalism on an issue uh first being uh senate majority leader a minority majority leader um mitch mcconnell from kentucky john thune from South Dakota, Roger Wicker from Mississippi. Again, a lot of them are just saying this needs to be held at a local level, and partially they're not wrong, but at the end of the day, is there's the Democrats and pro-abortionists are trying to push this at a federal national level, and this needs to cause a campaign debate talking about this issue as Trump did with Hillary and forced her to talk about it, forced the reality and show what this really means um, despite what Hillary Clinton and even now Bill Clinton came out and said as a quote-unquote scare, scare tactic. Uh, Roger Wicker from Mississippi, Mike Rounds from Ohio, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, Susan Collins from Maine, Pat Toomey, um, from Pennsylvania, Roy Blunt from Missouri, Jerry Moran from Kansas, Rand Paul from Kentucky, John Cornyn from, if I remember right, Texas, yeah, Rob Portman from Ohio, Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, and Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. And again, um, 
most of these are saying, well, this is a, a federalist, this is a state's issue. <laughs> uh, you have, uh, again, um, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski who are just – they're rejecting this outright as is. Uh, they don't agree with it at all, and, and some want to force it. And so this is – these are names to pay attention to, and, and I mean I had to fear the Lord for this, these politicians on this issue because they're – I get their natural arguments to a degree, but at the end of the day, is like if you quote unquote say you have all this momentum, and if you believe that if you believe in polls, which most politicians do, then why not stand up for the polls? Even progressive Democrats, some Democrats, old school classical Democrats, agree that there should be a 15-week ban on abortion. And the question is, why not? If you quote unquote believe you have all this momentum. Oh, now, now it's it's lost. Now that's not an issue, because if we don't realize those who are pro-abortion, they're making this an issue. And Lindsey Graham is saying, "Here's our solution: just a 15-week abortion ban." Now, obviously, as believers and someone who stands for life, we would want that to go further. But is this is a step in the right direction? And you got to take ground little by little in this case. And so that's something to be aware of and pay more attention to as you. We here on the campaign trail getting closer and closer to these midterms. And then the last big thing that will happen this week, later this week, is that the Fed is going to meet and most likely announce raising of interest rates, possibly an entire percentage point, but most likely um, three-fourths of the percentage point, so 0.75% uh, interest rates that will increase. And then the last thing <laughs> is... Um, on the case of Yeshiva University, you know, if you for those on the part of the Facebook group, you probably saw this, uh, but this is something to actually interesting to talk about. Is Yeshiva University, after being told by the Supreme Court that they need to fight this case, continue to fight this case out in the state court, basically going all the way up to the state Supreme Court and then bringing it to the to the Supreme Court, they have now decided to ban and suspend, more so suspend all student club activities. Um, until this is dealt with, <laughs> which is a a very interesting strategy, but I understand it is they're saying, look, if you're saying we can't, as Justice Sonia Sotomayor said, we should put a pause on giving funding to the LGBTQ club. We're not going to do that. They're holding a line on religious liberty here, and this is a very important case because. If this type of group can win this case against a religious institution, then what is the purpose of the First Amendment and having rights? Of what's the purpose of the Constitution? And then, and that's that's the real important issue here is that the state courts in New York are saying, eh, that doesn't matter. And and what Yeshiva is trying to point out is that that you have to adhere to the First Amendment. Like if we can't adhere to these laws, then what are we? And very interesting here. So they're going to say enough's enough. We're not going to we're not going to play this game. Um, and interesting enough, the um, lawyer Katie Rosenfeld for the Pride Group said to the Washington Post that the decision um, is discriminatory, calling it a throwback to the 50 years ago when the city of Jackson, Mississippi, closed all public swimming pools rather than comply with court orders to desegregate. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Claiming that this is a form of racism. Um, I, I mean. <laughs> the court is saying they're saying let's put a pause on this to figure this out not uh hey the courts have ruled you need to desegregate these these uh, um these public swimming pools um so the cases aren't necessarily an 
equal comparison. In this case, there is no correlation um, in compared to what this case was in Jackson, Mississippi 50 years ago to this case with Yeshiva University, who is a Jewish Orthodox university, the portion that the students are a part of. Um, so this is quite interesting, um, bold strategy uh, from uh, Yeshiva University and something to continue to pray about and pray for. And pray for the the courts to, and in this case, this Golden Court case, that the courts really stand for the First Amendment rights and the principles that this nation was founded upon. Um, and even going back to the U.S. Marine Court case is sometimes these these institutions and these organizations they know they have no legal standing but they're here to cause a fight and this really hurts other students as well who want to be a part of other organizations build community build friendship especially at this point of their life where they're learning a lot um, and taking in a, lo a lot of different ideas and, and building community and friendships because a lot of times these type of organizations for some of these kids uh, they'll make lifelong memories, and now they're not able to do such, all because of a small portion, a small group is being the loudest voice, causing problems, and really hurting um, the overall student life on campus of Yeshiva University, who is a Jewish religious organization. And, and, and so, and if if we sit here and say, "Well, that's just," this type of organization in this university this is going on on christian campuses this is going on within in the church body um and something everyone needs to pay attention to as we saw what happened during covid with Cheyenne and and john macarthur's church of them standing up for religious freedoms and winning because of the totalitarian overreach and this is not a governmental overreach this is a to a full extent this is a a organization of groups of the something that has been going on for quite some time but i think now we're finally realizing it uh within the church and, and myself included of the battle that we're here at and and the problems and things that exist especially for the future this is one of the biggest things as we, we learned yesterday if you watched our sermon if you haven't go back and listen to it the intro before scott preaches of the how from generation to generation, the number of people who consider themselves within this LGBT group has grown very significantly uh, because of the indoctrination in schools. And, and even the Soviets, the Germans, they knew you can get in the education system, you can change the hearts and minds of the next generation, then therefore you that's the battle that they want. Yeah, they want to you know, try to force the current generation to mold into what they want, but in their long-term goal is you get the next generation to do it. That they're going to be your army. They're going to be your forces to help you move into the the godless agenda that you want to do in the season ahead. But this is why we're here. We're standing. We're praying for the office of the president and the foundations of this nation. And so, with that, I want to close. Thank you to everyone for following along today. And uh, don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and leave five star review wherever you're watching from. And blessings. And I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.